You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my lovely other half, Dr. Jess. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy to have you back because I was on on my own last week and I promised everyone that Brandon would be back and that I'd hand you the reins to talk about touching yourself. It's I, Well, I'm glad. And I was also wondering, where was I last week? But I was busy with work and I am sorry that I missed it. I love these podcasts. I love learning and listening and asking questions. I so. know. I know. Well, today I'm going to be handing you the reins uh, to talk about your experience with the arc wave, but we're also going to be talking about the HIV epidemic and how it can be eradicated. We have the tools to eradicate it. And I was thinking about, you know, when we look back to the 80s, there was so much fear around HIV AIDS and so much misinformation that was fueled by, but also reinforcing of, you know, homophobia and racism. And HIV, I remember when I studied social movements in school, uh, HIV was such an important piece of, you know, so many social uprisings at the time. And we had groups like AIDS Action Now. And I remember studying it. And then now it seems as though it's just kind of taken a back seat, in part because the fear isn't as strong, which is a good thing. We now know that, you know, an HIV diagnosis is not a death sentence, which we saw it as back then. We And we know that you can live a long, healthy, high-quality life being HIV positive, especially if you have access to resources like medications. And we know that quality of life is really now the focus of HIV care. But we also know that, like all medical care, it's very stratified by privilege or lack thereof, which means that the health outcomes really vary according to so many factors, whether it's your income, your race, your location, uh, the stigma that kind of intensifies along the margins of identity. And so we're going to be talking about this as well, talking about updates to the research, testing, talking about huge updates in treatment and prevention. And we're going to do this in, in detail with Brad McAuley, who is the Director of Specialty Health Solutions at Walgreens and a pharmacist as it, well. It was so interesting to hear you talk about how it has been seen as a, as a death sentence. And I remember being a teenager, and that was obviously one of the big fears was testing positive for HIV. And the only thing that I knew of was you wore a condom. That was what you, what you did. And if you did, if you did test positive... Um, that it was obviously, it was, it was devastating. But I remember Magic Johnson. And I remember Magic Johnson having, you know, really, I don't know what the word is, but progressing through the symptoms, getting treatment and living a really high quality life. And now with the PrEP program and your partnership with Walgreens, it seems like it's accessible to so many more. Whereas before I just associated it with uh, only the most affluent individuals. So really interesting to see how it's changed. Absolutely. Now we can't deny that the more money you have, um, the better medical treatment you receive, depending on where you live. But overall, health outcomes are higher for people in certain groups. But I I think this is going to be a really interesting discussion. But before we get to that, (laughs) I did promise that you'd hear from Brandon. Uh, Here we go. And his review of a new toy, the ArcWave. So this is a pretty revolutionary sex toy. It is a 
pleasure air toy for the penis. So it uses tiny changes in air pressure to target the sensitive nerve endings and what what it promises is a more powerful orgasm. And so this type of stimulation that they use, these little changes in air pressure, apparently allows you to target receptors that other technology cannot. So like a vibrator isn't going to get it in the same way. And so these are called apparently Piscinian pleasure receptors, which I'm just starting to learn about. So they're highly sensitive nerve endings that are uh, located kind of in the frenulum and at the tip of the penis, and they respond really well to changes in air pressure. I like how scientific you make everything because I'm like, it tickled my penis and made it feel real good. <laughs> so, Well, it's it's interesting because I can't use this toy because I, I don't have a penis, but the clitoris and the penis have so much in common. You know, I've spoken many times about the fact that they are derived from the same tissue in utero. They, they both have a shaft, a head, foreskin, Corpor cavernosa, which is that cavernous area that fills with blood to get an erection. They both have spongy tissue. They both get boners, but clitoral boners are mostly on the inside, so they may not be as visible. So ArcWave basically set out to use this pleasure air technology that targets the Pacinian receptors and are really highly concentrated in the clitoris to also target these same receptors in the penis to create more intense orgasms. I would describe the ArcWave Ion as a stroker plus. So it's like, okay, this is how I'm going to describe it. It's a small tunnel. Well, not that small. It's a tunnel. <laughs> and inside it's made of this clean tech silicone that is kind of ridged. And you slide your penis inside. You turn it on. And you can either kind of stay still against that pleasure air or you can stroke. But you know what? I promised I'd let you talk. So, <laughs> No, I mean, listen, everything you've said I agree with. I, I really noticed initially the, the case. I thought it looked really nice and sleek and modern and very discreet. So if you're worried about having something out, you don't need to worry about it with this. You said it looked like a speaker. I thought it was a speaker almost. It looks like a Bose speaker or something like that that would just be charging on the side of your night table, which is kind of cool. Um uh, the the thing that struck me initially was in that tunnel that you described the it's ridged so it, in, initially i thought it actually felt if it felt like the inside wall of a vagina which i'm sure it was meant to 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 replicate but that was really really cool and then of course you've got this pleasure air technology uh, location within that tunnel so you start by, I should always preface, like you say, use lube, right? And when I was using it at first, I thought, how do I, do I just put my penis in here and do I stroke? Do I just let it sit in there on the pleasure air, you know, location? But um, after a little bit of playing around, and let's be honest, you can't really go wrong. You're, <laughs> you're pleasing yourself. So once you start stroking and you let that pleasure air uh, device actually target the frenulum it feels great and what was most surprising to me was that when I actually climaxed because I was using it as a stroker I had the pleasure air um, dispenser opening I guess yeah opening at the base of my penis so when I orgasmed it was so much more intense because it was actually pulsing it felt like a pulsing at the base which was really really good is that super descriptive for you? So I want to just go back. So you, it's a, I guess, a tunnel. You put your penis in it. 
And then kind of at the near the top of the tunnel on the underside, there's an extra kind of opening where those changes in air pressure occur. Is that a fair That's way to correct. describe it? Yes. And so the frenulum of your penis, which is the small connective tissue that connects the foreskin to the penis, is on that underside, basically where the head meets the shaft. So it's it's intended to kind of be on the frenulum, be on the head, but you're saying you actually shoved your penis right through. <laughs> well, I mean, when I first started using it, I didn't know. I was like, okay, this is a stroker. So I put some lube on it, uh, turned it on, started playing around with the settings at first, which was really cool because I have so many different settings. It can be, you know, low to very, very high, depending on the intensity that you want. How intense did you use it? Um, I, I started the lowest, worked my way up to the highest. And then I actually found, for me, it was just below... Uh, the or just above rather the lowest setting because I found oh. it to be enough that it provided that extra sensation and pleasure, but I also was thinking that as I was using it, you could, you could bring yourself close to climax, and then slowly kind of pull away from that pleasure air piece, which was just really interesting. So you know, the more you use it, the more I use it, the more comfortable you get with uh, perhaps increasing your pleasure. But I got to tell you, it was fun to play with. I thought at first it might be a little bit cumbersome just because if you're normally masturbating, you're just using your hand. But you have a device in your hand that's using that you're using as a stroker. So um, again, it's a win-win. You're using something that's adding another element of pleasure that is going to be really, really difficult to replicate. Like with any other fleshlight, it's going to be hard to kind of replicate that that sucking motion or that sucking sensation, which is what that piece is meant to do. It kind of felt like sucking to you? No, for me, I know that it's supposed to feel like sucking, but again, for no, me, No, I it don't felt, think that's oh, is specifically. That what it is? I mean, it's whatever you feel. I felt more of a pulsing sensation than I did, and the pulsing was, was nice and very different from like a vibration that you'd feel on like a ring or anything else that you might or that I've used in the past. Yeah, so you tend to, if you do use a toy, use that vibrating ring, the pivot, so how is this different? Well, the pivot literally pivots around on the base of your penis, right? So if you leave it in its in the position where the uh, the vibrating portion is over your balls, it's going to give you that stimulation more so for the person with the penis. Um, if you rotate it up, you continue. I would continue to benefit from those pulsing or that vibrating sensation, but it pushes on your partner and gives them an added level of stimulus. So the difference was really just kind of where I felt the vibrations and more of a of a, of a kind of more traditional, it's hard to describe what the pulsing feels like in the arc wave. Um, but I would say that the pivot is more of that traditional vibration, whereas this really has a, a pulsing sucking feel. So does the orgasm feel different? <laughs> well, as I was saying, when I orgasmed, I just so happened to have had pushed the stroker all the way down. So that pleasure... Like how? Because I'm looking at it. You must have really jammed it in there. <laughs> You're well, a box imagine jammer. using it as a, as a stroker. And the uh, that pleasure air piece is meant to be up near the top of your penis, right? Well, that frenulum. So you could just put it there and let it sit there and then orgasm and that would feel great. But because I was using it and I guess got carried away, I had it at the base or further down, I guess, yeah. I mean, I didn't have it at the base, but I had it further down my penis, and like that gave me a very unexpected surprise. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, it's just like, I don't know how to describe the feeling just be because I was orga having an orgasm, 
but it was like in addition to the normal fantastic feeling of having an orgasm, you're also having this pulsing sensation that was happening halfway down your penis. So it was very, very different. Imagine having an orgasm as somebody sucking or playing with um, halfway down your penis. Okay. It's just different. It's not something that I think most people think like, you know what, when I, when I, when I have an orgasm, I want you to pleasure this part of my penis. So for me, it was just like a total accident and it was a wonderful accident. Okay. So I have a question. Do you feel as though you could leave it perfectly still and have an orgasm from the, I guess, stimulation of those piscinian receptors on the underside of your penis? Or would you always want to move it? The reason I'm well, let, answer first, and I'll tell you why I'm asking. I mean, I like the idea of using it as a stroker. I, I, I'm open to definitely trying it and seeing if that works too, <laughs> just letting it sit there. But I would continue to use it as a stroker. I'm wondering about a couple of different options here. So for people, for example, who want to last longer or mm, learn to yes. exercise more control over ejaculation. Definitely. I could see you... Um, putting that pleasure air on your frenulum, building up, like feeling that, okay, I feel an orgasm coming on and then stroking so that that pleasure air is not on the most sensitive part or for me, the most sensitive part of my penis. So you move it away and then you learn the control, right? You learn that sensation that you feel like you're going to hit the point of no return and then you move it back onto the frenulum again. And so with that practice, I could see how you're, you know, edging or really working towards controlling your ejaculation. Yeah, definitely. All right. So you're not super experienced with it yet. So you need to try it again and maybe yeah, report it's, back. It's, it's it's really unfortunate. I'm just going to have to keep, you know, experimenting with this. Can I ask a back. question just because I'm personally curious? How yeah. long did it take? No, um, I know you weren't timing yourself, but no, did, was it quicker or slower? Or I don't what think you... this time was really representative of how long it might take. It was probably only four or five minutes, but because well, that's I was, a long time. which is a long time, but I was, I was you playing around with it. Mm. Like I think under normal circumstances, I am a creature of like, not convenience or habit, but it's like, okay, if let's say you're away and traveling and I want to get off, I'm just going to get off quickly. I don't find I enjoy the buildup. So uh, with this though, I took more time just to play around with it. Um, and figure out what I did and didn't like. So let's call it five minutes, but I'm sure I can get my time down pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I should, should cut that time easily in half, easily. And so would would we use it together because we haven't yet? Yeah, we could definitely use it together. I mean, it could be a part of foreplay. It could be a part of, I'm just trying to think. Um, I mean, it doesn't even have to be foreplay. It could be sex in itself. Uh, I could see, yes, you could definitely use so it. So would you want me to manipulate it? On you? Yeah, of course. I mean, also, you can have fun and play with it, right? You could do the same thing. I like that you're staring down the tunnel of it right now. I fully am. I'm putting it yeah. up to my eye and but, staring down the barrel. But you could also play around with your partner where they're bringing you they're bringing you closer to orgasm and then taking it away. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're stroking it on different parts of your penis and seeing what you do and don't like. You like that. You like that edging. Like even yeah, I notice when I we're do. having sex, you like, even though we don't necessarily call it that, you like kind of getting up and then pulling back. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And I mean, it, I've been doing it for a long time without really recognizing what I was doing where you get to a point, you're just like, okay, let's just take a minute, try to breathe for 10 or 20 seconds and then, yep, get back at it. And then breathe. I know that there've been days when you're like, okay, enough already. Let's just be done here. I've never said that. <laughs> no, but I can tell from your body, like, you're like, I'm done. 
<laughs> I was done a long time ago. I need a break. Yeah, yeah. So it was definitely uh, very pleasurable. Look forward to doing more research. Um, if any other companies would like to provide me with toys, I'm happy to do market research for you. Okay, well, yeah, send it to him because I have a lot. <laughs> I got a lot to deal with. Yeah. My mailbox is full. Well, thanks, babe. Thanks for no problem sharing your experience. You feel okay? Whew, a little sweaty, a little sweaty. Yeah, yeah, just a little, you know, a little nervous there. But yeah, oh, next time we can try it together and kind of see sure. how I would use it. So how I can mess it up. <laughs> well, I, I just want to say one thing that even though that opening that's intended for the frenulum is intended for like just around the head, you were using it a lot deeper than that because the top of it allows for you to kind of push in because it's mm -hmm. nice and soft. Mm -hmm. So I was just thinking that there must be so many other uses that mm -hmm. we can play with rather than kind of like, what do they call it? Off-label uses. Well, I mean, even just spinning the device around with enough lube, you could use that, that pleasure air piece, you could rotate around in different parts of the penis. So anyway, yeah, lots you could do and lots lots of fun you could have with it. So just to clarify, we're talking about the Arc Wave Ion, their first toy that has come out. And it's really interesting the way they've done this and the way they've done the research around it. So I'm excited. I mean, I don't get to really try it, try it, but I'm excited to learn more and be a part of the process. So thanks, babe. My pleasure. Literally, my pleasure. And just a reminder, if you are interested in the ArcWave Ion, it is, of course, available online at ArcWave.com. It is A-R-C, so ArcWave.com. And you can save with code Dr. Jess, D-R-J-E-S-S. -S. Save a few dollars and also let them know that you heard about the ArcWave Ion here from Mr. Brandon Ware. Tell them that you heard Brandon's 10-minute description and that it was great. Yeah, post that in the promo code, people. <laughs> All right. Arc okay. Arc Arcwave. <laughs> Dr. Jess, use the code. <laughs> All right. Moving on, we are going to be talking about our main topic today, and that is HIV AIDS in terms of updates, testing, treatment, prevention, and more with pharmacist Brad McAuley, uh, the Director of Specialty Health Solutions at Walgreens. Welcome, and thanks so much for joining us today, Brad. How how are you managing as a pharmacist during this global pandemic, the first and hopefully hopefully only of our lifetime? Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm actually doing pretty well. It's been a very interesting time for all of us, uh, but as a pharmacist myself, you know, it's really been an opportunity for us to continue to focus on how we can take care of patients especially when it comes to a HIV epidemic in the middle of a pandemic. And so it's really allowed us to be creative and make sure that we really keep patients at the forefront of everything that we're doing as pharmacists. Now, in your current role, you oversee Walgreens HIV treatment and prevention efforts, and you're involved in the trainings that Walgreens pharmacy teams undergo in order to provide the compassionate and confidential care that you offer. And this, of course, in involves a huge range of cultural competencies and dealing with destigmatization. But I'd like to start from the beginning for folks. I think many of us can use a refresher. I have to say that many people in my field actually started in the field of HIV and HIV education and prevention. I did, and and when I announced this partnership with Walgreens, so many people came out and said, oh yeah, I actually started with an aid service organization. So, But for many of us, it has been years since we've worked directly 
with aid service organizations. So I'd love to get a, a refresher and just start right from the beginning. If you can talk to us a little bit about what HIV is and what AIDS is. Yeah. Um, you know, it's quite interesting. It's been a, an epidemic that the United States, at least, has been fighting for about the, the past 40 years. So HIV itself is human immunodeficiency virus. So it's a virus that attacks the immune system and really tries to, that virus tries to replicate. And in doing that, then it can essentially destroy the immune system. Well, in advanced cases, that's when HIV progresses to AIDS, if in fact it's left untreated. And so, you know, really over the past 40 years, we've, we've learned a lot. We've learned that it is something that we can actually end. We can end the HIV epidemic through various different prevention measures, um, whether it's PrEP or treatment as prevention. But um, it's been an interesting journey, one that we've made a lot of progress on. However, it's also a journey that we still have a long ways to go. And so really making sure that any individual that is currently living with HIV can potentially know their status and then get into treatment. And then also individuals that may be at risk for acquiring HIV, that they actually have a way to uh, protect themselves as well and protect their immune system. And so when we're talking about HIV and AIDS specifically, it's really a matter of the immune systems and making sure that we can protect them as best as possible. So then we can fight off all kinds of other infections as well. Now, when we differentiate between HIV and AIDS, what is the likelihood, I don't know if we have this data, that a person living with HIV will be diagnosed with AIDS in the United States? That can be a complex question because part of it's going to be a matter of when an individual actually gets into treatment. And the reason I say that it's complex is because if an individual is on HIV uh, treatment, a patient living with HIV that's actually on antiretroviral therapy, then that patient may actually never progress into AIDS. Uh, one of the things that we've seen recently through various different campaigns, U equals U or treatment as prevention is one of those, is that a patient actually living with HIV that has their viral load suppressed through antiretroviral therapy, then that patient um, will have a uh, will not be able to transmit HIV to another individual. And their viral loads also suppressed so much so that the virus is not replicating within their, their immune system any longer. Therefore, they won't progress to AIDS. Now, if an individual is not into treatment, then you will have more likely to progress into AIDS. But again, the complex nature of that question is really around whether or not a patient is on, on treatment or in treatment. Um, and then how that can actually protect that individual. I guess we have to talk about some of the factors that support people in getting on treatment, right? And this would be related to access, to income, to you know, even just access to information. And so when you talk about treatment as prevention, I'd like to chat about that because 10 years ago when I was you know, working with aid service organizations, that was relatively new language. And so can you explain what that means, getting the viral load so low that it's not transmittable? Is that a zero viral load? Is that an undetectable viral load? What does that look like? So the viral load, meaning the level of virus, I presume, in, in is it in serum? Is it in, uh, how are you testing it? 
It is. It's a very, a very good question. And when I was talking about a lot of progress is made, that's been one of the areas that there has been a lot of progress. So one of the things that we know now is that if a patient is on antiretroviral therapy, their viral load is suppressed. It doesn't have to be at zero. However, if it is suppressed, the serum viral load, if it is suppressed enough, then that will essentially be undetectable on a lab, lab exam. And so patients that are living with HIV are going to go through routine uh, lab tests to make sure that that viral load is suppressed. And if it's suppressed enough, uh, then that patient will not be able to transmit HIV to another individual. And this has really been groundbreaking in terms of U equals U or untransmittable or un undetectable equals untransmittable because we also see the way that this can actually play into ending the HIV epidemic treatment as prevention. So we suppress that viral load, that individual cannot transmit HIV to another individual. Therefore, you're not going to have additional in, uh, individuals that are going to be infected with HIV. Uh, Brad, I have a question for you. Is it possible for a person to um, move back and forth between having HIV and having AIDS? Like, can you, can, can the virus progress back and forth between those two states, if you will? It's not really a, a matter of the virus pro, um, progressing. It's really a matter of that individual's CD4 count. And so would probably be a, a question for uh, an infectious disease uh, physician. However, I will tell you that when it comes to HIV um, progressing into AIDS, it's really a matter of that individual's CD4 count. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's, you know, probably more of a question for an infectious disease physician when it comes to that. But most often it's, it's really centered around that CD4 or count for patients. Fair enough. Fair enough. So you're talking about treatment as prevention. So if I am HIV positive, I can be on meds that can get my viral load so detectable that I'm not going to transmit it to somebody else. But there's the flip side of that. If my partner is HIV negative, we also have new options that certainly weren't around when I first started working in this field. They were just really in, in research stages. And one of those is PrEP, so pre-exposure prophylaxis. And folks have heard me talk about this on the podcast in the past. So this is, and you know, Brad can correct any misinformation. This is a daily pill that I would take as somebody who is HIV negative to reduce the risk of having the virus transmitted to me. And when I looked into the research, it says it's over 99% effective to reduce the risk of transmission in sexual activity. I, I think the efficacy is a bit lower for shared needles and other other practices that can potentially transmit HIV. Uh, but I'm really curious about how PrEP works in the body. So how does the medication work to reduce transmission to me? Yeah, great question. And you are exactly correct. Really, when we're talking about HIV prevention, we have multiple tools at our disposal now. So as we were just talking about treatment as prevention, that is one way that we can actually help in the HIV epidemic. But in addition to that, we have pre-exposure prophylaxis. Currently, there's basically two different medications that can be used uh, for pre-exposure prophylaxis. It is recommended that patients take this medication on a daily basis. And really the reason for that is to ensure that there's enough drug in the body that prevents HIV from replicating. 
And so, as we discussed earlier, HIV is trying to um, take up or get taken up into the immune system, into some of the cells of the immune system, and specifically the, the defense mechanisms of our body. And one of the things that this uh, pre-exposure prophylaxis is going to do, it's really going to prevent that virus from continuing to replicate in a, uh, in a healthy individual. Uh, and then if it cannot replicate, then it can, it cannot infect additional cells or it can't basically take up into or make, um, make a home within the immune system of the body. And so just quite plainly, if you think of other medications that we take from a preventative standpoint, malaria, for instance, if an individual is going to go into a, an area that may be, um, have a high incidence of malaria, then you can take medications to prevent you from contracting malaria. Well, same thing with HIV. If we take that, we have that medication in our system and continuing uh, to take it on a daily basis, and really it can provide that protection for that individual in the event that they may be exposed to HIV. And so I have a question about serodiscordant partners. So where one partner is positive and the other partner is negative. Do you see partners where, let's say they're monogamous, okay, just to make it um, clear. So if I'm positive and Brandon's negative and I am taking antiretrovirals to get my viral load super, super low and undetectable, would he also consider, would Brandon, my sexual partner, also consider taking PrEP as a precautionary measure? Do people, I, I don't know, want to use the word double up, but that's my, you know, layperson's term. Yeah, I, I think it's a great question and one that I, I think uh, couples should have discussions with their physicians mm -hmm. around that. The reason for that is that you are exactly correct. If an individual is on antiretroviral therapy, as we discussed, and that patient's viral load is so suppressed, then they won't be able to transmit uh, HIV to uh, their partner. One of the things that we have to ensure of is that there's going to be proper adherence to those medications. Mm -hmm. So if a patient... Uh, is adherent to their medication and their viral load is suppressed, then essentially there's zero risk of that individual transmitting HIV to another individual. However, we do have to make sure that that patient is adherent to their medication and that their viral load is suppressed in order to provide that protection treatment as prevented. That makes sense. So PrEP is fairly accessible from what I'm, I've been reading. It's covered by Medicaid, by Medicare, by a program called Ready, Set, PrEP. And I know that you and your pharmacists at Walgreens can help connect people to these programs like Ready, Set, PrEP that make sure that it is, you know, no cost and financially accessible. But what I've been reading is that people aren't very aware of these options. So in your practice, what are you seeing in terms of what holds people back from accessing PrEP and I guess HIV care more generally? You know, we've made a lot of progress in the last 40 years, but we still have some significant work to do. I think the biggest thing that we need to do right now is we need to ensure that everyone that is potentially at risk of acquiring HIV actually gets tested for HIV. So HIV testing is very, very important. And the reason for that is because the HIV testing itself will allow an individual to know their HIV status. In knowing your status, that actually is very powerful because it allows you to take steps. One, if you 
are in, infected with HIV and you don't know it, then it allows you to potentially be able to get into antiretroviral therapy. We do know that one in seven individuals, so approximately 14% of the individuals living with HIV today do not know that they're actually infected with HIV. And again, if they don't know that they are infected with HIV, then they cannot actually get into therapy, antiretroviral therapy. In addition to that, if an individual does not know their status, then they wouldn't be able to get on preventative medications like PrEP. And the reason for that is because we have to know that an individual uh, actually has a non-reactive or a negative HIV test in order to be able to prescribe PrEP. Uh, that's because PrEP itself is not a complete retroviral therapy for a patient. So we really need to know that patient's HIV status in order to be able to determine what preventative methods they can take when it comes to uh, protecting themselves. And so I really believe that HIV testing and get, getting the word out about HIV testing is so critically important. And why Walgreens, we've had such a focus on that, especially in our partnership with uh, Kaiser Family Foundation, Greater Than AIDS every year, trying to do what we can to increase access to, to uh, HIV testing on National HIV Testing Day. The partnership that we've been a part of for the past 11 years and one that really think that it's a, a great way to increase education around the importance of HIV testing, knowing that that, again, that in knowing your HIV status allows you to have the power to take action, potentially protect yourself or to get yourself into treatment. And of course, people don't have to wait until June for National HIV Testing Day. Certainly, you know, as you underscore that alarming number, one in seven, who are unaware of our status, it's really a reminder to go and get tested. And so that's the very first step. And if you are, once you get tested, uh, or if you already do know your status, because I know a lot of listeners are very responsible about STI testing, uh, when and who should consider PrEP? Now, I know that folks can walk into any Walgreens pharmacy and ask to speak privately to a pharmacist. I know you offer private rooms for that. I know that, of course, people have been hearing me say that they can go to walgreens.com slash P-R-E-P to learn more. But let's talk about that now. Who, who and when shall we consider PrEP? I think that if individuals are having sex with multiple partners, then that's potentially a risk factor. Uh, now, the guidelines itself say that, you know, a patient that would be eligible for PrEP needs to have substan substantial risk. Now, that, that can be quite challenging because, you know, how do you define substantial risk? And so um, really, I think that it's a question for a uh, provider to at least consider, and that individual should, should consider if they are eligible for PrEP, whether or not, and it's going to be based upon their relationship status, the um, HIV status of their potential partner. You know, again, you would want to know what is the status of, that, of your partner in order to be able to know if you're at risk or not. And so there, there are a lot of unknowns out there because there's a lot of individuals, for instance, this statistic that we just talked about, one in seven don't actually know the very HIV status. And so you would need to have some of those variables taken care of. And I do believe that health healthcare professionals can help you to arrive at a conclusion to know if you should actually consider PrEP or not. But there are multiple different categories of individuals uh, individuals potentially that um, use injectable drugs. 
then that would be another individual that could, should consider uh, pre-exposure prophylaxis as well. And there, ha- there are so many layers to what you're talking about. So, for example, knowing your partner's status. Well, how do you know? Can you trust? Do you even know who your partner is going to be tonight? Right. I know, you know, during the pandemic, in most places, people aren't going out and necessarily, you know, meeting at a bar. But oftentimes we don't know our partner's last name uh, or even their real name, <laughs> let alone HIV status. So I, I think this is a really important conversation. And as you talk about treatment as prevention, so antiretrovirals that can get your viral load down to undetectable or untransmittable, and you talk about PrEP, so pre-exposure prophylaxis, a pill you can take to reduce your risk of getting HIV by 99% during sexual activity, you're making me think that, and I mean, it's not like I've come up with this, I've been reading about this, that these options mean that we have the potential to eliminate this HIV epidemic, the other epidemic that we're facing right now. So I'm sure there's a lot of history to this. I'm sure there are many layers. I'm sure it is rooted in, you know, systemic oppression and a lack of options or a lack of access for many people. But why is HIV still an epidemic if we have the tools to eradicate it? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a question that I think about quite frequently, to be honest with you. And I I think that we are at a time where we really need to get the word out about ending the HIV epidemic. It's not too often that we have a a chance within our lifetime to actually end an epidemic. And right now during during a pandemic, it's very important for us to not lose sight of the epidemic. So if we can get the word out about HIV testing, if we can increase the amount of individuals that are aware of their HIV status, and then make sure that we are doing the awareness that we need to do and the advocacy for patients to be able to access both antiretrovirals as well as pre-exposure prophylaxis, then we will be able to actually end this HIV epidemic. And I believe that we at Walgreens are in a great position. You know, 78% of the Americans uh, of Americans live within five miles of a Walgreens pharmacy. And I believe that we have a, a great opportunity right now to really get the word out that in the event that people have questions about is PrEP right for me, or what do I do about HIV testing, or where can I get my medications, how can I afford my medications, various questions like that, that they should go into a Walgreens pharmacy or pick up the phone or even address those questions through our pharmacy chat. Because the important thing is, is that individuals that believe that they may be at risk, they should at least inquire about that. They should consider HIV testing, they should consider pre-exposure prophylaxis and the various ways that they can protect themselves. One of the things that I think that the pandemic has taught us is that we all play a role in this. We all have an, an opportunity to protect us and protect the communities that we live in. Uh, whether it's through wearing face masks and various others. Um, The same applies to HIV. We all can play a part, whether it's in educating, whether it's in getting an HIV test or asking questions about is PrEP right for me. I believe that we all play a role. And if we all do that, then we can all help to end the HIV epidemic. And I do believe, and I'm very, very hopeful that we can actually see this epidemic come to an end during our lifetimes. You know, and what you're really doing is normalizing and encouraging these types of conversations, uh, you know, here, obviously, but also in pharmacy. I don't think people naturally think of, you know, going to a pharmacist first. I think oftentimes we think of 
going to a doctor. And there can be barriers, of course, to going to a doctor, whether it's a matter of time or coverage. Uh, I'm, I'm very interested, however, in the chat feature online. So I do not like talking on the phone. Um, it really stresses me out to make a phone call. I think a lot of people, I don't know if it's true that a lot of younger people, but many of us have anxiety even around phone calls, although I've never really labeled it that. Uh, how does the pharmacy chat work? Is it real time? Is it like, is it all the time? Uh, how can we access that if we want to chat? Because for me, if I can chat with my fingers and not my mouth, I'm going to do that. Sure. Yes, it is. It is uh, a resource that we have at Walgreens. It's available 24-7. Uh, and the great part of the, about that is, you know, you, you never know when you're going to have a question. You may be at two o'clock in the morning and want to ask a question and uh, the resources available for you. So it is real time. We do have pharmacists that are able to answer questions. It is private. It's confidential. Uh, it's secure. And it, it does remain anonymous. And so if individuals have questions about, hey, what, tell me about Ready, Set, Prep or tell me about pre-exposure prophylaxis then it does actually provide that platform for individuals to be able to ask their questions without having to pick up the phone because the phone, they may have to wait on uh, wait on the phone or someone may not be available 24 seven, but our, our opportunities uh, do exist for that pharmacy chat 24 seven through our uh, walgreens.com platform. You know, Brad, I just want to highlight that Jess really wanted to drive home the point that she enjoys texting and that she's much younger than me because I, <laughs> I find it so efficient to make a phone call. Maybe it's because my texting skills aren't on point, but she, I think I see her laughing at me and smiling and she's like, yeah, it's because I'm so much younger than you. So <laughs> the, the chat feature, feature is something that she would definitely use. Well, I also really appreciate that late night option because I, I find that for many of us these days, our anxiety is kind of coming to a head at night. Like during the day, we're busy, we're working, we're doing all the things, we're getting our exercise. But at night, I, I've been feeling a little bit more anxious. Uh, last night was a night, for example, where I had a little bit of trouble sleeping. It wasn't a huge deal. I eventually fell asleep and still got a good night's sleep or a decent night's sleep. But, uh, you know, that sometimes it can be really tough in the eight to four for people uh, first of all, who work different hours and for folks with anxiety. I completely agree. And having uh, been a pharmacist for quite some time now, I've been with Walgreens for 21 years. My my entire um, professional career has been with Walgreens. And one of the things that uh, I do appreciate is the needs of our patients. And so having uh, lived that for quite some time, really taking it upon myself and take great pride in the fact of what do, what do our patients need from us? Uh, that requires us listening and then producing resources that can actually help them. And so it's one of the things that I've done over um, the course of my career is really trying to figure out what exactly a patient's needs. So asking questions and then also trying to meet the needs exactly where patients are. So you're exactly right. When it comes to pharmacy chat, we have to make sure that an option is available to patients uh, at all hours of the day. Uh, I used to be, uh, I used to work as an overnight pharmacist and uh, would work, <laughs> would work uh, in the in the early morning hours. And many patients would call me at the at those times and have various questions. Well, the same thing exists with the pharmacy chat. Reason why we need to have that option available because you never know when a patient may have questions. You don't want to wait around until this is actually open able to address the questions or concerns that an individual or a patient has. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for for the work you're doing, for sharing your insights. Highly encourage people to head on over to walgreens.com slash prep. That's walgreens.com slash P-R-E-P to learn more and to consider, you know, getting tested right away if you're not aware of your status and if you are aware of your status to consider your options and use the tools at your disposal and do connect with your pharmacist. Again, you can walk into any Walgreens or you can chat online to ask them what your options are, especially for no-cost, low-cost options because obviously these things need to be accessible to all. And uh, I appreciate, Brad, that you're giving us hope that we can be a part of eliminating eliminating an unnecessary epidemic in this lifetime. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. I greatly appreciate the opportunity just to be able to share about the work that we are able to do and really think that it is an opportunity for all of us to come together, for all of us to play a part in helping to end the HIV epidemic. So thank you again so much for your, for your time and appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. You know, Brandon, when we when we think about destigmatizing around HIV AIDS, around safer sex, around sexual health testing, I, I really I feel like we're on the precipice here in 2021 because we are now having really specific conversations about safety in light of COVID and the pandemic, right? We're now talking about where you're going to meet, where you're comfortable meeting, how much distance do you need? Will you be wearing masks? Will you be indoors or outdoors? And I think that these conversations of sa- regarding safety that we're approaching with so much, I think, sensitivity and openness and nuance and specificity, if we can have both of those things at once, I'm really hoping that that translates into conversations around safer sex, right? If we can talk about wearing masks, can we talk about barrier options like condoms, if we can talk about, you know, how far we want to sit apart or whether we want to be sitting outdoors or indoors, can we also talk about what our boundaries are with regard to safer sex, whether that's physical or emotional? So I'm really hopeful that some of these more open conversations from COVID overflow into the sexual health realm. Yeah, I mean, it was it was enlightening. I mean, there's a lot of information that Brad provided today and that, you know, you've provided me over the years about HIV and AIDS education and, and information that, w- I mean, the idea that we can really control and even end this mm-hmm. is massive. And I reflect back on when I was younger, you know, the ability to go into a pharmacy and to have a conversation with somebody and get the information to protect yourself or to protect myself is incredible. Like I just remember it being such, there's so much stigma associated with it. And all of these have been broken down over the years. And with this, it just seems like such a huge leap forward. Yeah, absolutely. I I really think back to, again, my early days of working in this field and how much things have changed. So I'm really appreciative to have had this update. Hope people will absolutely get tested and share this information. I was chatting with someone the other day who attends sex parties regularly and obviously hasn't been for a while now, but they were they they saw my Instagram story about prep and so they sent some questions. Wow. And yeah, so it's, you know, it's I'm really happy to hear that it's more accessible and I hope people will take advantage of accessible testing and confidential care and treatment and medication counseling. So 
We're going to wrap that up today. Thanks so much for chatting with me, babe. Thank you. Happy to be back. So happy to have you back. Don't be away again. I won't. I promise. I mean, you're never actually away from me. (laughs) That must have been the 45-minute break we got from one another. Thanks for listening, folks, wherever you're at. Have a great one. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.